Hey, great to see you guys out for second service today. And we had such a good time in first service. Looking forward to being with you guys here in this hour today. And in the month of November, we've been talking about uh, being God's peace ambassadors. And week one, uh, we saw the problems in the neighborhood. Week two, we looked at the solutions for the neighborhood. And then last week, we presented some action steps, uh, some living steps for a personal, local, and global peace plan. Today, we're going to look at the attitudes that are necessary for us to do God's big picture plan. The harvest of souls never happens accidentally. It's always a purposeful thing, and we have to be firmly dedicated to God's purposes for that to continue. We have to be earnestly engaged in the peace approach that Jesus modeled and called for us to follow. I'd like to start in Revelation chapter 7 this morning. If you'd like to turn over in that direction, Revelation chapter 7. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, how many had to work on Thanksgiving? How many had to work? A couple people. Oh, goodness gracious. And, uh, man, the stores are opening for Black Friday on Thursday now, so some people have to work. Uh, how many of you had a meat for Thanksgiving besides turkey this year? Something different than turkey. Okay, what did you guys have? Ham? Okay, how, how many had a ham? Okay, how many had different, something different than ham and turkey? All right, what did you have? Pheasant. Whoa. That's pretty, that's pretty exotic right there, young man. Uh, pheasant. Now, how many of you uh, still do a pheasant hunt every once in a while? Anybody still do one? Okay, Barry does one. Uh, when, when my dad uh, first moved into this valley with his family, he was 12 years old, and they used to be able to hunt pheasants all over. They were all running all over in their own fields at the farm. Uh, so pheasant, that's good meat. Anybody have something different than turkey, ham, and pheasant? That's it? That's as exotic as we get? Or you had something, Colby? Chicken. 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 No Gornish, Cornish game hens? Gornish came hens? Oh, back there, okay, a Cornish game hen. So there we go. Well, Revelation chapter 7 is where we're at this morning. And we're going to see the ultimate big picture plan that God has for mankind. And, and then uh, we'll deal with the attitudes that we need to have toward God's plan. So Revelation 7, and boy, see if this passage just jumps out at you as this huge majestic event. Revelation 7 verse 9. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. Now, that's a lot of people, right? Even if you go, to, anybody go to the BSU game last night? Okay, a couple people. Uh, we had some at first service they went to. Uh, they give you a count of how many people were at the stadium, right? Like 34,789 people. I don't know if that's what it was, but uh, that's a number. So, uh, but this is a number that no man could count. Now look what it says. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, that's languages, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their heads, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, 
saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. That's a pretty big passage. All right, that's as big as it gets. And, and in fact, uh, God's big picture plan is that every group, every people group, every tribe will be reached with the truth of the gospel. And isn't it fascinating and wonderful that he just allows us to be a part of that? <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, think of all the biggest jobs on earth, right? The things that people uh, try their best to, to attain and become. And just being a servant of God tops them all. Because we get to be part of something bigger than anything else there is. And uh, so this is uh, the attitudes that we need to have toward God's plan. And so we're going to cover six of them this morning. They're in your notes. And also, uh, we have a little booklet called The Peace Approach. If you haven't gotten one of those, get one on your way out today. They're free. And we'd love for you to read through it and kind of get in tune with our missions approach that we have at Centennial and how God is allowing us to work uh, in our personal interactions with other people, in our local ministries, and in global ministries across the world. So here we go. First attitude. Let's not sacrifice the best on the altar of the good. Let's not sacrifice the best on the altar of the good. Okay, and I'll just kind of say it this way. If the enemy cannot trick us and tempt us to go after evil things, he will trick us and tempt us to go after good things that aren't the best thing. All right, so let's, let's kind of dissect this a little bit, because that's what he does. Uh, the enemy, listen, uh, he won't go up to a devout Christian who's walking with God uh, and kind of tempt you with, you know what, uh, you should blow up your family, you should leave your wife, you should wreck your home. Uh, no, but he will go up to uh, a, a Christian husband who wants to follow God, and he'll say, you know what, you should spend more time at work. Yeah, you should really become a workaholic. You should get so invested in work that you're never home and you never see your wife and you never spend time with your kids. And guess what happens? He gets the same result. So what he tries to do is he gets us to go after good things that aren't the best thing. And so this attitude that we need to have is to be aware of this. In Hebrews chapter 12 uh, right after the great chapter on faith has this opening statement. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's the Old Testament saints who live by faith. Then it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Did you know that the things that beset us are not always sin? Sometimes they're good things, right? Like pumpkin pie is a good thing. Would you guys agree? A pumpkin pie is a good thing. How many of you, like, you don't like pumpkin pie? Be honest, you don't like pumpkin pie. This is a crime against humanity. Like, uh, I don't know if we should really get onto this. There may be some people who would 
you know, really get angry at you, Jim, if they knew this about you. But uh, how many of you would substitute for like a pecan pie, though? That'd be good. We could do that. Uh, is there anybody who doesn't like apple pie? Oh, we still got some. Uh, okay. My favorite's coconut cream. Is there anybody who doesn't like coconut? <laughs> I'm just going to walk away. I'm walking away on that. All right. Oh, you like that one? Okay. We're friends again. <laughs> like that guy. Even though I messed up the fist bump. Take your, take your favorite pie, okay? Your favorite pie. And how many times a year would you say that you have your favorite pie? Give me a number. How many times a year do you have your favorite pie? She says two, three, three, four. Breath's going up. Could I get a five? Here we go. Four, four. Here we go. Five, 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 five. All right, somebody. Okay. Now, why, why is it that you don't have your favorite pie every day? Because you'd be big as a house, yeah. Uh, so he just said it out loud. So thank you, Monty. I appreciate you laying that out for us. That because uh, if you had it every day, it may not be your favorite anymore. Right? It'd just become mundane like Honey Nut Cheerios. Right? It'd just be like the regular everyday thing. Uh, my favorite cereal is Life Cereal. And I've liked it ever since Mikey did. Yeah, back in the 1970s. So if you don't know that, look it up on YouTube. But, um, but my daughter, Autumn, she thinks it is so hilarious and devious when we get a package of life, because we don't get one that often. She goes and sneaks it and eats life, and then she'll come after she ate a Jethro Bodine bowl of it and show me her bowl. Anybody, you guys know Jethro Bodine bowl? Beverly Hillbillies. Like his bowl of cereal is like this big. My references. I'm, I don't know how to deal with this crowd, but um, she'll she'll come. Guess what I had for breakfast? What did you have? It's a four-letter word, starts with L and ends with E. And then I chase her around the house and fake like I'm gonna hurt her. And um, it's my favorite cereal. I don't really hurt her. As some of you are like, <clears throat> it's okay. Um, but things that are your favorite are your favorite because you don't have them every day. You just have them every once in a while. But if you had them every day, that would be called too much of a good thing. Here's what Satan does. He gets us to chase after too much of a good thing and we miss the best thing. Right? So in Jim's case, right? He would say that you don't chase after pumpkin pie when you could have apple pie. Okay, pecan for him. Pecan. Come on, man. Pecan. Uh, anyway, the pie talk is over. But what happens is we put good over best. And, and this can happen in every one of our relationships. It can happen in every facet of our lives. Uh, we talked about how you could overwork at your job and, and too much of a good thing. Uh, you could be part of, of a hobby or a club or some craft that you do that, that kind of takes you away from what's really the best in your life. Your kids can be in local sports 
But if it doesn't stay balanced, it can kind of take your family and divert them from God's priorities. And so good can easily beat out better or best. And this also, weirdly enough, doesn't just happen in our personal lives and in our family lives. It can happen in a local church where we uh, take ministries and we never evaluate them on God's word, God's purposes, like worship, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, ministry. But we just do them because we've always done them. And we just get in the rut, the ritual and tradition. And we never evaluate against God's priorities. And any time uh, we do calendar planning with our staff or we hear ministry ideas, we always have to measure those against God's purposes. Because they might be really good things. But if they don't meet any of the purposes of God's church, they have to be set aside. And we have to be careful as a church that we don't have sacred cow ministries. Where we do a ministry just because we've always done it. Or, or we do things just because they've always been that way. We've got to filter everything through God's purposes. And we have to constantly evaluate the structure of our lives. Whether it's your personal life, uh, your family life, or church life. Here's a, a quote from Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, you, if you underline in your Bible, this is a great one to underline. Hebrews 2 verse number 1. Listen to this. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, how many understand that the things we know we're supposed to do, we constantly have to keep realigning those priorities? All right, you're coming up on a new year. And uh, some of you are going to start your uh, diet plan or your exercise plan or your Bible reading plan or whatever it's going to be. And if you don't constantly reevaluate that and take the more earnest heed to that, things start to slip. Right? Priorities start to slip. Vision leaks rapidly. No matter what uh, organizational vision, spiritual vision, family vision, priorities, whatever it is, it slips. Even in the book of Nehemiah, uh, it kind of gives us this great formula because Nehemiah went into Jerusalem and the city was broken down. The walls were uh, totally in ru uh, just rubble everywhere. And he said, we should rise up and rebuild the wall. Well, they got 26 days in and everybody had forgotten why they were doing what they were doing. And they started to have infighting and problems and fear and discouragement. And so he had to recast the vision after 26 days. And that formula actually works out pretty well. About once a month, we have to go back to the why, the what, and the how, whether it's our personal life, family life, or church life. And we have to recast vision because vision slips. Vision leaks and when that happens, we start to chase good things that aren't the best thing. E even in the area of missions, we talked about this last week, we can get into a rut. We can sometimes get to the point where we outsource all of the work to professionals. And we never step up to connect with the world ourselves. And we should be involved in local mission organizations and global mission organizations and support them financially. 
But if we only do missions with our money, we aren't really keeping the Great Commission. Okay, so we got to keep the best thing as our priority. That's the first attitude. Here's the second attitude. Let's keep the right emphasis on going into all the world. we got to keep the emphasis on going into all the world. Uh, a guy told me last week, was so curious, uh, after church we, we had talked about global missions and and he said, uh, he said to me, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the mandate is only to the local church. It's never global. You're not supposed to go to all the world. You're supposed to take care of your local area. And so I kind of talked to him for a minute. I was real nice. Uh, but I got, went home and I started thinking about, like, does he know who wrote Romans and Corinthians? The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived. And in fact, uh, Sidney and I were talking about this uh, between services. Romans was a book that was actually written to a church where Paul had never been. He wanted to reach Rome for Christ. And if Jerusalem had only thought about having a local church, they never would have spread the gospel to Judea and Samaria. There never would have been a church in Antioch. And so the whole New Testament is about going, global missions, now, let's just trace this through the first five books of the New Testament. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Seems pretty plain. Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and your witnesses of these things. Uh, John 17, uh, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And then Jesus said in John 21, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the world. The emphasis God has given us in his big picture is to reach the world for Christ. And we can't lose sight of that emphasis. God's plan, we read it in Revelation 7, it's going to include every people group, every tribe, every language to be reached with the truth of the gospel. And a God allows us to be a part. How about Revelation 5? Let me read this one to you. I love this one. Revelation 5. <clears throat> and you should read Revelation. Even if you don't understand all the timeline, just read it for the majesty of what we're going to experience in heaven. And get to bow before the throne. Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song saying... Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And uh, this passage reveals what's going to happen someday around the throne of God. The Lamb's going to be the focus. And there will be witnesses from every tribe, every people group, every language, every nation. Now, that's a little bit bigger view than sometimes we have of our Christianity, right? And sometimes our Christianity, if, if we're not careful, I don't think we mean to, right? But sometimes if we're, we're not careful, 
we begin to think that Christianity is an American thing. Right? Uh, we begin to think that Christianity is kind of a, a regional thing or it's a Baptist thing uh, or that belongs to certain races. And yeah, listen, we need to get out more because I'm telling you what, Christianity is bigger than we could possibly imagine. The, the, the organism that Jesus started with his disciples has spread across the globe and continues to spread, and we get to be instruments with the emphasis on reaching people for him. Here's the third attitude. That's the big one. Let's have a prayer walk that moves far past what's general. Okay, let's have a prayer walk that moves past the mundane, past the general. Now, one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 3, verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Have you ever thought that maybe... We aren't asking big enough. A lot of times when somebody is taking prayer requests, we have to actually sit there and think of one. Right? They're taking prayer requests. Oh, yeah, my aunt's got gout. Pray for my aunt. Uh, oh, we, really, we need to pray for the missionaries around the world. Oh, I thought of one. We need to pray for all the oppressed people. Yeah, we need to pray for all the people out there who are hurting. We need to pray that God answers the prayers of all the people, right? I'm not demeaning your prayer, but aren't we asking for some kind of general stuff? And, and aren't we asking for things that basically sort of happen anyway? Because like your aunt, she had gout before and she got over it. And it wasn't really like a healing of God, like the doctor gave her medicine, I'm not demeaning your aunt. If you actually have an aunt who has gout right now, I didn't know that. Okay, I promise you I didn't know that. What I'm trying to show you is that sometimes our prayers are in this tiny little box. And we've put God into this tiny little box. And we're not asking for anything big. You know how you can tell when something you're praying for is actually big? You know it's big when you're afraid to say it out loud. Because when you're afraid to say it out loud, it requires faith. Uh, not that traveling mercies or blessings on the saints don't require faith, but I feel like sometimes we're not stretching our faith. And so what would it look like for you to ask big? What would it look like if you asked God for something so outrageous that it's crazy to even say it out loud. Right, what about that person in your life who is so far from God that you can't even imagine that person coming to Christ? Now, what if you brought that person's name before the throne of grace every day and you ask big, right? Like, I mean, ask like, God, would you save Adolf Hitler big, right? God, would you save Saddam Hussein big? You know, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Even your coworker who is a reprobate. Even who, your uncle who's a drunk. Even your stepmother 
who's hated you her whole life and treated you like Cinderella or Cinderfella, which is actually a funny Jerry Lewis movie if you have never seen it. Anybody ever seen Cinderfella? Now, I thought this was, oh, this is the young, I, I, I remember now why that didn't work. Okay, look it up. Jerry Lewis was an actor. He just died this last year. He's in his 90s. Anybody, do you know who Jerry Lewis is? Oh, okay. So this is good. Uh, so what would it look like for you to ask big? Now, now think about this. If you ask for something big and it's in line with God's purposes and it's in line with God's will, Jesus has promised not only to hear you, but to answer your prayer. Now, he may not answer yes. He may not answer no. He may answer wait. But he's going to answer something because he's promised to do that. And I believe we serve a God who delights in hearing his children ask big for the impossible. For with him, nothing is impossible. I love to hear children pray. Just love to hear kids pray because they aren't afraid to ask for the impossible. And they haven't become jaded and religious and uh, these great prayer warriors. Oh, God, Father in heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the solid rock on which we stand, we ask you today for blessings upon all the people of the congregation. And in all that, we ask for absolutely nothing. Because we already have blessings, by the way. I love to hear a kid pray, God, my kitty's sick. Can you help my kitty to get better? Why? Because that's the biggest thing in that kid's life right now. What if we actually found within our core of our human soul something bigger than our Cheerios to thank God and ask God for? Not that you shouldn't thank God for your Cheerios. By the way, we've worked in, just keeping the score here, we've worked in Cheerios and Honey Nut Cheerios into the message this morning. Should we go for whole wheat? Right? I mean, you guys, you're a great crowd. I'm enjoying you today. But if you participate even more, we'll have more fun. Okay? You guys are a great crowd. I really like you. Let's go to number four. Uh, this is a this kind of a weird one, but this is an attitude that we have to have. If we want to be a part of the big picture God has for us, this is a crucial one. Let's be illogical in our generosity. We need to be generous in a way that does not even make sense to people who don't know God. It doesn't even make sense to our accountant. It doesn't make sense to our parents. It doesn't make sense to our brothers and sisters and cousins. We have to be ready and willing to give in a way that is illogical. And sometimes you look back at how God moves you and blesses you and shapes you. And it just doesn't seem like there's any logic in it. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? Luke 6.38. You ever heard the saying, you can't outgive God? That's kind of an old saying. It's actually true. Uh, when you get to the point where your generosity makes absolutely no financial sense, you're starting to be where God wants you to be. 
it's easy for us to forget that God owns it all anyway. And we sort of begin to feel like all the stuff God allows us to manage really belongs to us. But it doesn't. Someday it all passes along to somebody else. Maybe somebody you know, and maybe somebody you don't. I'll give you a for instance, and you may not want to hear this, but after you're gone, your kids may list some of your stuff in the free section on Craigslist. Right? It, it may be that that thing that you've been pushing toward all these years is not going to be worth anything to anybody else. You know, my wife almost, a couple years ago, she almost threw away my baseball card collection because she just thought it was an old rotten bag in the attic. Like, hold on! Do you know what that is? And then I started to look at it like, maybe we should throw this away. Because I, I traded my George Brett rookie card uh, for some guy who I'd never heard of when I was seven years old because I thought that was what you should do. You get all the people you've never heard of before, and that makes things better. Nobody told me that maybe it should have been the other way around. But uh, it, you guys don't know who George Brett is, except uh, you know who he's? Okay. Tell you what, I feel like I'm old today. <laughs> Your stuff, though, it is, isn't this amazing? Your stuff. I, I've been in rooms with a lot of saints who've transferred into heaven. And I've never once, not one time, have I ever heard a, a dear saint on her deathbed say, Cindy, you take care of my salt and pepper shakers. Uh, Bobby Joe, you take care of my plate collection. Right? Because stuff at that point doesn't matter. Souls do. People do. Relationships do. Investing in someone or something that outlasts you is big picture generosity. And that's what God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to get stuck in thinking that our stuff is ours because it's headed towards somebody else. And so we should ask God to make us rivers that move God's resources to where they need to go. And then we should look for opportunities to invest Resources in eternity. And I think that the Compassion uh, Child sponsorship right now is $38 a month. Maybe with the AIDS package, maybe $45. I'm not sure what it is. But it's only about $10 a week okay? yeah, to sponsor a Compassion Child and uh, help them with education and, and uh, some very important things for their health. And uh, I'm not trying to guilt you into doing anything, but I will say this. The $38 you spent last week at Dutch Bros and Starbucks is gone. Right? I said last week, right? You won't ever be able to use it again for anything. It can't be invested in something that outlasts you. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have coffee, right? What I'm saying is maybe trade a caramelizer in for an Americano, right? And give the rest to sponsor a compassion child. Did you know, I'm just doing the math here. If you traded in your annihilator just for an Americano every day for like two weeks, you would still be able to sponsor a compassion child and the other two weeks have your, your caramelizer or your annihilator 
or your Milky Way or your Frappe or your Mocha Frappuccino or whatever it is that you do. Right? Now, some of you are like, I've never heard of those things. I just drink this stuff called coffee. Right? I like it black and I like it thick. <laughs> this is a groundbreaking day. Right? Second service, I just got an out loud amen. That's, that's groundbreaking. And I got it from the populated section, the popular section of the room. I'm actually feeling pretty good. Thank you, Ruben. We didn't plan that ahead of time. Just, yeah, see, okay. I didn't even know I was going to say that. What I'm saying is this. Find ways to invest your time and your resources and your energy into people and things that outlast you. What are some of those things? Thank you for asking. I'm so glad you asked because I wanted to tell you a few of them. Uh, How about this one? Scripture printing. For the thousands of people groups who have no part of the scripture in their language. Wells for people with no clean water. Mosquito nets and people in countries with malaria. Renewable resources like goats and sheep for our brothers and sisters in partner churches in third world countries. Uh, Gifts to enable children with nothing to receive Christ-centered education. Sponsorship of an orphan. Support of a missionary family who's dedicated their entire lives to global ministry. Uh, The trip cost for a teen to go on a life-changing short-term mission trip. And uh, really, I could list hundreds of ideas. But I'll tell you this. Irrational generosity makes you think outside the box. And it actually causes you to align your priorities with what's most important to God. Imagine... If you're debt-free and you can spend the rest of your life finding eternal investments to make for God's glory. That's big picture thinking. Illogical generosity. That's an attitude God wants us to have. Here's the next one. And I think this one's appropriate, obviously, for this week of the year. Let's be excessive in our gratitude. Let's be excessive in our gratitude. You ever done something nice for somebody And then that person wouldn't stop thanking you for what you've done. And it actually started to get like, okay, you got to stop. Like, please, no more. Like, literally, if you say it again, I will never be nice to you ever. Uh, I promise you that that when that happened, you never accuse that individual of being unthankful. You were well aware, maybe too aware, of where their gratitudeometer stood. And I don't really think that's a word, but it's cool. Gratitudeometer. I wonder if we should get T-shirts made. And if you trademark it, I don't care if you trademark it. Just make sure all the proceeds go to global missions. Okay, gratitudeometer. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Anybody know trademark like how to do all that stuff? You get with me after church, we could work out a deal. All right, gratitudeometer. I like that. And we could put like a a logo. He's looking at me like I'm crazy. He's our graphics guy. And sometimes I come up with these ideas. I Like I get a napkin out. And first of all, if you've ever played Pictionary with me, nobody wants me on their team. One time I drew a horse in Pictionary and my wife guessed frog. <laughs> and my ego ever since has been really damaged by that. But I can't draw. 
But sometimes we're going to do something at church, a series or a graphic or whatever, and I'll draw it up on a piece of paper, like on a napkin for Cole. You know, like, what is it? And a, but gratitude-ometer. That'd be pretty cool. And you put a thermometer beside it? Or a compass? You guys got to think with me. We got to think outside the box here. If we were to list all of the give thanks passages from Scripture, uh, this would be a very long message today. And you have to wonder sometimes, why did God put so many of those passages in his word? Like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How about Psalm 105? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. You will find this to be true. A grateful heart is a contented heart. When you see a contentful person, a contented person, it will be a grateful person. And when you see a grateful person, you will see a contented person. Because when you're constantly praising God for who he is and what he's done in your life, it leaves no room for dissatisfaction. We live in a world today where there are people all around us struggling for fulfillment. And it's for one basic reason. They never practice thanksgiving. And if you don't regularly thank God for his benefits, you'll start to think that you actually deserve them. You'll start to think you actually deserve God's goodness and his grace. And you will question whether or not he's blessed you as much as he blessed your brother-in-law who just got a new Ford Explorer. Or your neighbor who just got an RV that's two years newer than yours. Not many RVs here in the room as we did in the last hour. Sorry about that. That's a bad one. Uh, your neighbor who just got a newer Honda mower than you have. Still no? Uh, your neighbor who just got the new Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer LED Christmas lights that play a song while they do what other stuff and blow stuff up in your yard. That neighbor. Or, or, or the women at the gym who are a couple sizes smaller than you are. Uh, envy and jealousy and strife and anger and greed, they all come from ingratitude. There's a, there's a quote from Elizabeth Elliot that comes up in my prayer prompter app once in a while. I love this quote. It stands out to me every time I read it. She said this, It is always possible to be thankful for what is given rather than resentful over what is withheld. One attitude or the other becomes a way of life. If you're carrying resentment, it may be because somebody hurt you, maybe even abused you. And the only path out of resentment is gratitude. Gratitude has to be practiced. We have to work on it for a long time before we ever get any good at it. And if you never practice gratitude, 
you're going to feel like the guy who goes golfing once a year. Right? And he wants to break his clubs and throw them in the, the creek because he never practiced. You're going to be like uh, the guy who goes, or the woman who goes bowling once every three years and can't figure out why she keeps hitting gutter balls. You're going to be like me yesterday morning when I went to the men's basketball thing at seven out in the gym. And I, and I wasn't extremely thankful when I woke up and started to go to them. And then I especially wasn't extremely thankful when I got out there and realized that I was the oldest guy on the court and that my body doesn't function very well anymore and that I hadn't touched a basketball in like a year. Uh, and so when you don't ever practice, it shows up, right? And when you don't practice your gratitude, it's going to show up in your attitude. That's deep. It's deep theology. You know what I'm saying? You guys are just fascinating today. This is a fascinating dynamic in our midst. Gratitude has to be practiced. And God wants us to thank him and other people. Have you ever noticed that the people who thank God are pretty good at thanking other people too? It's an interesting thing. Now, here's the last one. Let's expect God-like outcomes when we serve with God's grace gifts. 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Spiritual gifts are given to all believers at the moment of salvation. And these gifts are always for God's glory. They're always to be used to accomplish God's kingdom purposes. And if you've never heard about spiritual gifts, we study those in depth in class 301. But God's plans for you are big picture plans. Okay, God's got something bigger planned for you than you can really even imagine. Well, what happens is a lot of times we jump into the driver's seat of our own lives and God bless the peace approach. Um, hallelujah for that. And we jump into the driver's seat of our own lives and, and we, start to, uh, we start living out our own plans. And, and when we do that, we don't ever get to see the greatness of God because we're living according to our own power. And my prayer for every person that goes to Centennial is this, that you'd be used by God in a miraculous way to serve God by serving others. There's a quote from Bob Jones Sr. that I love. It's, it says this, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. If we're going to serve the great God of creation, we should expect that he's going to provide for us to do great things. A lot of times we're afraid to do God's will because we think God won't provide for us to do his will. And we've totally misunderstood that if God wants us to do his will, he provides for us to do it. I'm reading a great book right now by Louis Giglio, and it's called Goliath Must Fall. Yeah, you can get it on Kindle or uh, wherever. It's really good. Uh, he says this, the antidote to fear is faith. And the soundtrack of faith is worship. Worship is celebrating the fact that God is bigger than the giants we face. Now, here's, here's the thing, though. 
if we aren't careful, we gather on Sunday to lift our voices to God. And in church, we claim victory and we position our hearts to live for God. But that's as far as it ever gets. We go out the door and the same giants step back in and defy us. And they defy the power of God in us. And uh, they defy us being transformed. And a lot of Christians almost live a schizophrenic faith. It's good enough for Sunday person, but it's not good enough for Monday through Saturday person. And we could trust that our God is not only the Sunday God, he's the Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday God. And the Thursday and Friday and Saturday God. And the yesterday, today, and forever God. He's God every second of every day. He's God 1,440 minutes every day. You know how many that is? That's every minute of the day. Yeah. You guys are math majors too. I, I like this crowd. This is good stuff. You know, God's never been surprised. He's never been defeated. He has good plans for our lives. And even when we don't understand what they might be, his big picture plan is worth devoting the rest of your life to. So let's go back through the attitudes we cover today. And if one strikes your heart, I'm going to give you a second at the end of the service to give that one to God. Okay? Attitude number one. Don't sacrifice the best on the altar of the good. Some of you have been trading uh, best for good for a long time. Attitude number two, keep the right emphasis on going to all the world. Have a prayer walk that moves far past general. Be illogical in generosity. Be excessive in gratitude. And expect God-like outcomes when you serve with God's gifts. Now, I don't know how God's speaking to you today. Maybe there's something you've been holding back. Maybe there's something you need to commit to God today. Maybe you need to just start asking big and trusting big and living big. Maybe you need to turn from your way and offer your heart to Jesus for salvation. As we close out this series on the peace plan, though, I, I want to pray a commitment prayer for all of us. And if you have a decision in your heart that you need to take to God today, let's do it as we finish our series. Father, thank you that we've learned over these last four weeks that you have a powerful, big-picture plan for each of our lives.